Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you for being here on this Wednesday night. Uh, Dennis and I have been chit-chatting a little bit, and, and uh, we have been amazed how night after night you all have come. And uh, we, are, we are grateful. Uh, I just want to take a moment and express my gratitude to Pastor Dan for the invite. Uh, I got to tell you, he was taking a risk with us. You get three guys over 70, you're bound to have some senility in there somewhere. And uh, we are honored to be here. I don't know about Dennis and Jim, but I've kind of been out of the loop when it comes to preaching in English. All of my preaching has been in Portuguese in recent years. I left, I left the pastorate. I can preach in Portuguese. You want to translate, Dennis? But... Uh, all of my preaching has been in Portuguese, and so it's been good to kind of get back into the English here for the last, uh, last few days. Uh, Pastor Dan, who would have imagined, brother? A conversation that we had last July. And I watched a pastor. We sat in that office. I watched the man of God weep because he said, Gerald, I want to finish well. <laughs> I don't want to fumble the ball on the two-yard line here. I want to finish well. And in that conversation, I talked a little bit about this marvelous relationship and friendship that God has given to Dennis and to Jim and myself and We've just been kind of Holy Spirit chasers within the context of the missionary church, wanting to see God do some great things. And I just want to exhort you tonight, church, this is just the beginning. What we've been experiencing here in the last few days, this is just the beginning. And you all have made this an easy environment to preach because you have prayed. And it's evident, and it's evident. I want to thank the pastoral team, not only Pastor Dan, but Pastor Chuck and Caleb and Katie. You guys have been a special blessing to my lives, and thank you, worship team. Those old rock and rollers back there still thumping the bass and, and uh, using their talents for the Lord and His glory. And even that kid that wears the, the bun, <laughs> the man bun. I want to tell you, he's a special kid, and he knows how to beat those drums and worship the Lord. I've just fallen in love with that guy. Amen. I want to share a word of caution at the outset of my message tonight. Uh, Monday night, we talked about this whole matter of how to manage a crisis. And in that process, we talked about a king by the name of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 
and how that vast army came against the people of God, the people of Judah. And the interesting thing is that Jehoshaphat, if you look at the greater context, had just set the house in order. The nation of Judah was experiencing revival. Politically, things were in shape. Spiritually, things were in order. And all of a sudden, the Bible says a vast army, four times in that passage, a vast army is coming against you. A vast army is coming against you. And I want you to understand that in the midst of all of this, we need to be on guard because this is a battle and it's not a flesh and blood sort of a deal. Are you tracking, church? Amen. Amen. And uh, just be aware of that. And uh, push back the darkness with your prayers. It's critically important. Well, tonight I want to take this thing in a little different direction. We're going to talk about hitching our holiness to the harvest. We've been talking about holiness and holy living and uh, being filled with the Spirit. And tonight I would like to draw your attention to Exodus chapters 3 and 4. If you'd like to keep your Bibles open there, that would be great. Exodus chapters 3 and and four. And while you're finding that passage, I'm going to read just a part of two verses from the book of Revelation, the first chapter, five, verse five, the second part of that verse, and six. To him, to Christ, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, my title tonight comes from a line given to us when we were students at what is now Bethel University many years ago. This gentleman's name was Dr. Fred Jarvis. He was a missionary. And I'll never forget him giving us this statement one night. He said, uh, my brothers and sisters, we have to hitch our holiness to the harvest. Another line that came out of that time with us, he said, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I've never forgotten that. Uh, when we talk about holy living and holiness and the, the power and the invasion of the Holy Spirit on our lives, it's not just to sit around and get spiritual goosebumps. There's a mandate that is attached to this, brothers and sisters. There's a world that needs to find Jesus. And we have an obligation. We have an obligation to reach out. And as kings, we are challenged to reign in life. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. So we're to live a victorious Christian life. And as priests, we minister. Quickly, I'd like to outline for you just what I see as four facets or four areas of ministry when we talk about the priesthood of the believer. And you remember for, that for a long time, the priesthood of the believer was forgotten, historically speaking, within the church. And uh, coming down from the Roman Catholic Church, and then Luther made a discovery, and he talked about the priesthood and the reformation of the believer. 
And so that trickles down to us tonight. We are called to be ministers. This isn't an activity strictly for paid clergy. You guys are the ministers. Okay? Are you with me, church? And so we're called to minister. Well, there are four areas that I would like to point out to you where I think we as priests can minister. Number one, we minister to God. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. What we were engaged in just a few minutes ago was a sacrifice of praise to God. We worship Him. I don't know about your prayer life, but my prayer life in recent years has been revolutionized through worship. I don't merely come to God with a laundry list of things that I want Him to do in my life, of prayer requests for peoples and things and situations. That is a part of prayer. But in addition to that, I have the privilege of worshiping the awesome God of the universe. And I just want to challenge you to, to move in that direction. Secondly, we minister to a lost world, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So that's our engagement with that world out there that needs Jesus. We're called to be salt and light, Jesus said. And that's, uh, that's what we need to be engaged in. That's a, an, an aspect of ministry. Then thirdly, we minister the body of Christ through the exercising of spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So that's why we have the church. And we minister to one another in spiritual gifts. Uh, some of you might have the gift of evangelism. Others might have the gift of teaching. Uh, some of you might have gifts of knowledge and wisdom. And, and the list goes on. But we use them in ministry to one another. And then fourthly, <clears throat> we minister to rulers and authorities in the unclean world. Uh, and I turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 for this. His intent, referring to Christ, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. I think this is an important point, and I, I don't think that we're too well versed in this. Ministry in Africa and ministry in Brazil have taught me some tremendous lessons when it comes to spiritual warfare. And we have an obligation to minister to rulers and authorities. What do I mean by that? We come against the forces of darkness and remind them of the mighty victory that took place at the cross of Calvary. The cross is not the demise of Jesus. Please understand that. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10, that it was there that he made a public spectacle out of Satan and all of his unholy kind. He triumphed over them at the cross of Calvary. And we need to understand that. 
I think a lot of times we don't understand that, that uh, spiritual warfare is very territorial. It's very sp spatial. Uh, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, Paul says, do not give place to the devil. The Greek word there is the word in English that's called topography. We're not to give space to the devil. Topography. Are you with me? We understand what that word means, right? And we don't give space to the devil. And the old adage is true. If you give the devil an inch, he's going to take a mile every time. Okay? And a lot of people struggle because they just kind of cave in when the, the adversary come, comes against them, and they give him space. I know believers that are struggling just because of fear. And man, with uh, a pandemic and all of these things that we've been experiencing lately, uh, it's amazing how many Christians are, 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 are cowering because of fear. Listen, we can't cave into that. We have authority over these things, and we need to exercise that authority. When I was teaching at what used to be Fort Wayne Bible College, uh, one day I got a phone call, and I'm going to illustrate this point. And the receptionist, uh, given the fact that I'm a former missionary to Brazil and know something about the nature of the battle, the receptionist called me and she said, I got a lady who's calling. Her name is Renee Gilroy, and she's from Hilton Head, South Carolina. And she says that she's seen an advertisement in a magazine when she was at the dentist office. And she has some needs in her life, and she's been involved in the occult and witchcraft and wants to talk to somebody. And she saw that we have a counseling department. She said, I know your area is in counseling. You're a missiologist, but you obviously understand some of this stuff. Would you talk to her on the phone? And I said, I'd be happy to talk to her. So I started that conversation with Renee and found out that actually she was heavily engaged in the occult. She was a Wiccan witch, and uh, she knew all about casting spells and all the rest. So we're engaged in a dialogue on the telephone, and all of a sudden there was a manifestation of a demonic spirit. And the spirit talked to me in a very deep masculine voice, and the spirit said, you don't know with whom you are speaking. And I didn't skip a beat. I said, I do too know who I'm, with whom I'm speaking. I'm speaking to a demonic force, and I want you to know, I want you to know that at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, <laughs> are you with me? You were defeated in all of your unholy kind. And you know what the demon said to me at that moment? You're right. And I know that my destiny is the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever. An honest confession from a demon. And at that moment I said, I don't want to waste time speaking to you. I want to speak to Renee. So just get right on out of here. <laughs> and that's precisely what happened. With that, he was gone. That's the kind of authority that I'm, I'm talking about. Well, in the Old Testament, there was a man who was called to a specific ministry. His name was Moses. His call was to take his people out of captivity. 430 years after Joseph, the Bible says, there arose a king who did not remember him, and he began to mistreat 
the people of God. Matter of fact, I like the rendering of uh, the NIV here, Exodus 1.8, that a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. And so God called this man by the name of Moses. And uh, was Moses excited about the calling? Hardly. <laughs> Hardly. Uh, he was reluctant. He didn't want to get involved in that any more than the man of the moon. And so in that process, in Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to kind of jump into the narrative here now. I want to read a few verses of Scripture. Exodus chapter 3. The Bible says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I want to pause here for a second. How many, how many blessings and God experiences do we miss, brothers and sisters, because of a lack of divine curiosity? How many? I wonder. Moses saw that bush, it wasn't being consumed, and he was curious. I will go over and see this strange sight. There are some people who say, whatever, just walk right on by, spiritually speaking. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hmm? We walk right on by and we miss, we miss what God has for us. Well, obviously, Moses was reluctant to embrace the call. But uh, in chapter 3, it's interesting that God promises some things to Moses. First, in verse 12, he promised Moses his presence. He said, and God said, I will be with you. And then in verses 13 to 19, he promises Moses his words. And then in verse 20, he promises to Moses his signs and wonders. And again, a beautiful illustration here that the God who calls us equips us. And this was true in the life of Moses. Well, in this passage of Scripture, a number of years ago, I became impressed with three symbols that are quite fascinating in this story. The first symbol is very obvious here in chapter 3. It's the fire. And the fire in Scripture represents sanctity, holiness, and power throughout Scripture. You can go from Genesis to Revelation, and those are things that you can observe. That the fire represents sanctity or purity and power. The fire of the Holy Spirit makes us a holy people. It's interesting that Peter, in Acts chapter 15, when he was talking about the Gentile Pentecost, he went back uh, to Jerusalem to testify about that experience with Cornelius. And in that process, process in chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, he said their hearts were purified by faith, just like ours were, 
on the day of Pentecost. I find it fascinating. He didn't talk about all of the, the wonders and the supernatural signs at that point. Even though we know that Cornelius talked in tongues, he talked about, he talked about the purification that took place. He said their hearts were purified by faith, just like ours were on the day of Pentecost. And I think that's a, that's a critical point. But in addition to that, it represents power. Power to share the message, the good news. Um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. Well, then the question surfaces, well, what are the evidences of spirit fullness in our lives? What are the evidences? And I would respond to that by saying the graces and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the evidences. The list in Galatians 5, dealing with the fruit of the Spirit, evidences, as well as certain, certain sign gifts. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it said, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. I'm sorry to some of you that don't come from uh, from, from certain backgrounds. You just can't cut that out of the Bible. It's there. Now, does that mean, does that mean that tongues is the evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit? My response to that is, no, that is not what the passage says. I think it is an evidence, but it's not the evidence. I think it's a plurality of evidences that we see. I hope I don't get in trouble by saying some of these things, but I'm just going to lay it out to you tonight. Okay? And I know that this doesn't line up with Pentecostal theology. But on the other side, it doesn't line up with holiness teaching and tradition either. We've uh, we had a knee-jerk response historically to Azusa Street and Topeka, Kansas and some of those things. And you know, we've kind of, let's stay away from the gifts. We don't want to talk about the gifts in Scripture. But I'm here to tell you tonight, brothers and sisters, that the gifts exist. And I might get in trouble with some missionary church colleagues tonight, but I got down to Brazil, South America, and uh, our Brazilian church, missionary church, they have the best theology of any of the missionary churches around, and they see tongues as a legitimate spiritual gift. And so do I. And it's one that I experienced in that context. And I exercise that gift to this day in my prayer and in my quiet time before the Lord. There are times when I don't know how to pray, but the Spirit prays. And oh, the strategic breakthroughs that come when we are engaged with that. Well, then in chapter 4 and verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meet, meet, uh, meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. God gives us boldness. This is another affirmation, another sign. You know, we have some Christians that are just flat-out timid and afraid to share faith. I want you to know that you don't have to be timid and afraid to share faith. The Holy Spirit will empower you. Then in 
Chapter 4, verse 33, it says, With great power the apostles contended to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Wow. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Power. Uh, I told you on uh, Monday a little of my own experience with the age of 18 and that at the camp meeting out there south of Elkhart, Indiana, on a Saturday morning, I had a deeper experience with the Holy Spirit. And my life was forever altered as a result of that. It was a powerful experience. Pastor Dan was sharing his experience this afternoon. These are experiences we can't get away from. I could take you to the spot on the, in the, on the altar where I knelt to this day. And it was just a powerful, moving experience. But I got from, up from that altar, and I had a mission. And about that time, there was a little skinny Assembly of God preacher by the name of David Wilkerson that came to South Bend, Indiana. Teen Challenge was just getting up and running. Some of you have read the book or seen the movie, The Cross and the Switchblade. And he came to town. And I remember that night they had some sort of a gospel center who had, a singer who had been a, a, a former Hollywood entertainer. The guy could sing. I mean, he was just a flat out what they call a crooner. I mean, he had a beautiful voice and all the rest, and people were ooing and aahing. And finally, David Wilkerson got up to, to speak, and he had his kids stand up. Some of these Puerto Rican kids who had come out of heroin addiction they got up to share testimonies, and the power of God just kind of fell on the place. He had one of these little Puerto Rican kids sing, and I'll tell you, the crooner, I think, would have been going out the back door about that time, because this guy had the Holy Ghost all over him when he sang. His face radiated. He had been touched by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and his life was forever altered. And did he ever sing? And as a result of that gathering, and, and what I experienced prior to that, just about a year previous, I knew that God wanted me to take to the streets. And so I took to the streets of South Bend. And there was another kid from Bethel College who's a little older than I am, a guy by the name of Stan Carter. And uh, Stan and I and another guy by the name of Ron Harper from South Bend. I have no idea where either one of these gentlemen are today. But we took to the streets of South Bend we went to clubs where kids hung out, teenagers hung out. We would stand outside the doors and share our faith with these kids. And for me, that was an evidence that the Holy Spirit had come in His power upon my life. Boldness, boldness. And then that same passage in verse 43, it talks about God's grace was upon them, filled with the Holy Spirit and grace. I believe this is a critical part. We know how to love one another. The Holy Spirit does that. In addition to that, it says, uh, talking about the selection of the deacons, it says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Think of that. Another evidence. And it said, we will uh, we'll turn this responsibility over to them. And then in chapter 11, verse 24, and talking about uh, Stephen, I believe, he said he was a good man full of, uh, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Faith, another evidence. And a great number 
of people were brought to the Lord. And then in chapter 13 and verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to ask you, are those gifts and graces a part of your life tonight? Are they? This is kind of where we're heading in these moments. This is what we need. These are the evidences, I think, that are definitely legitimate. Well, the second symbol I see in this passage is over in chapter 4. And I like to read just a verse of Scripture that we encounter in chapter 4 and verse 20. Finally, after God convinced Moses that he was equipped and that he should go back to Egypt to set the captives free, it says in verse 20 of chapter 4, So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God, or the rod of God, in his hand. Scripturally speaking, the donkey in the Bible always represents humility. Jesus demonstrated that humility when he rode into the, the holy city. Humility. And if you're going to be an effective minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to exhibit that kind of humility as well. Um, I think there are two things, at least in my experience, where I've seen people get off the rails when it comes to pride versus humility. And there are several things that can puff us up. Number one, education. You get a guy who's got a string of degrees behind his name, and boy, they've got to watch it so that pride does not get in the way. And uh, sometimes guys coming out of seminary, uh, you know, their attitude is somebody's got to carry my suitcase and my briefcase. And uh, they feel like they're God's gift to humanity. But I'm here to tell you that, that God calls us all to service and to humility. Um, and on the other end, there's spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts can puff people up. You know, I've got the gifts and you don't have the gifts. And so we have to be very cautious and charitable in these areas. I know there are folks in this congregation tonight that have experienced certain, certain spiritual gifts, and I say, hallelujah. But uh, I'm talking in Portuguese now. But have a little bit of patience. Have a little bit of patience with folks that are coming in to Holy Spirit experiences, okay? They're going to get there. You pray. You love. You demonstrate grace. And God will take care of the rest. I find it amazing that Moses was considered the meekest man on the planet. A guy with all of that background and royalty and then herded sheep for 40 years in the backside of a desert, got, it, got him prepared, went back. But he was humble in everything that he did, the Bible says. Well, then lastly, the rod of God, which represents, in my mind, authority. Exodus chapter 4, verse 20, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. 
And you all know quite well what Moses did with the rod of God. Amazing stuff. And I want you to know tonight that, that we have received authority. In the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. That therefore reminds us to go in the authority of Jesus. It's not our authority. It's His authority. It's His authority. And we go in this authority. And we have authority over the powers and the forces of darkness. One of the greatest preachers that I've ever heard in my life was a man by the name of Stephen Olford. Many years ago, after we had spent our first uh, term down in Brazil, we came back to the United States right at the time that Billy Graham was holding a crusade at the University of Notre Dame in the football stadium. I don't know if there are any of you here that are old enough to remember that crusade or not. I am dating myself right about now, okay? Some of you remember, some of you old-timers like me, you're kind of nodding. And I'll never forget that experience. Billy Graham Evangelistic Association simultaneously held what they called schools of evangelism. And uh, Billy and his team would invite in some of the best preachers in, in Great Britain and the United States to preach. These guys could bring it. And Stephen Olford was one of those men. The, the greatest message I ever heard on the Great Commission was preached by Stephen Olford. And when he talked about this matter of authority, he shared an experience out of his own life when he was a missionary kid in Angola, which is a Portuguese-speaking country. And uh, he shared this event the following morning, knowing now that he spoke some Portuguese. I happened to be at the door when the man walked in, and I spoke to him in Portuguese that morning. And he turned and looked at me, and then we had a conversation together in, in Portuguese. It was just a, a neat experience. But he shared a story that when he was a kid in Angola, they lived in a modest missionary home that had a veranda around the on the front of the house, a porch. And he said, uh, he said, one morning, he said, we got up to have breakfast. And he said, I noticed that my father, they were English. My father was exceptionally quiet. He just didn't say anything at all around the breakfast table. And I thought, mercy, what on earth is up with this? And so we finished and had the morning prayer and the morning scripture reading. And he said, all of a sudden, like they do in Africa. They clapped. Someone clapped out front. And so he said, my father stepped to the front door, out onto the little veranda there, and here in the yard was a witch doctor who was very upset with our family. And he said, that witch doctor was standing there with a shotgun, and he had already announced to the community that he was going to destroy the missionary and his family. He was going to blow us away. He said, my father, very quietly, without much fanfare, simply struck out his, stuck out his finger like this and said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take authority over all of the unclean spirits 
in the life of this man. And Stephen, a kid at that point, said it was, was amazing. All of a sudden that shotgun flew up in the air and he said the guy bit the dust. He went down. He was out. Totally out. He laid there for over a half hour and did not move. And finally when he came to, he got up and took off out through the gate, out of the yard. And that's the last time they saw that particular witch doctor. But the news got back that 48 hours later, that witch doctor was dead. And in that kind of a culture, brothers and sisters, that was the beginning of a mighty visitation and move of God. And literally thousands of people in that particular tribal group that before had been very resistant, all of a sudden now thousands of people were swept in to the kingdom of God. That, my friends, is biblical authority. Well, I want to ask you a question tonight, and it's this. Are you prepared for ministry? What about the sanctity aspect in your life? Are you living a pure life that brings honor and glory to God and can impact other people? Are you experiencing God's power, the fire of the Holy Spirit? Are you equipped and prepared to share your faith? What about the humility aspect? Do you exhibit gracious behavior? I had an experience yesterday. I went to send uh, some money over to Africa. And I had to do it through a little lady who was about this tall. And judging by the clothes that she had on, she worked for Western Union, I would guess that she was probably some sort of a very conservative group of Pentecostal people. I mean, she had the little bun in the back and the whole nine yards. And, uh, you know, it was difficult just for that woman to smile. And it was a little bit complicated. I thought, oh, dear sister, demonstrate some spiritual grace. And uh, we don't have to live by the letter of the law here. Let's just live by the spirit of the law. Let's be gracious and kind with one another. So humility is a big aspect. And then finally, this matter of authority. So I ask you the question. Tonight, are you prepared for ministry? We've been talking a lot about the work of the Spirit in these days. And maybe some of you are on the edge. You say, Gerald, I'm just not 100% sure that I've ever been filled with the Spirit. Listen, like I said at the outset, one of my messages, for you to get into the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit has to work in your life. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And in my understanding of First Corinthians is correct. It's the Holy Spirit that baptizes us into the body of Christ. He baptizes us into the body of Christ. But there exists a separate baptism which comes later in the life of a Christian. John the Baptist talked about it, talking about Jesus as the agent. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And that's what God wants to do in our lives as believers and prepare us, prepare us for ministry. Maynard James was an Englishman who was a Nazarene preacher, written the best book that I've ever read on the personal work of the Holy Spirit. And the title of the book is, I Believe in the Holy Ghost. 
And he shares this story about being at a conference. And there was a young man in that conference whose heart was just crying out to God for something deeper. And he was struggling to live a victorious Christian life. He was struggling to share his faith. And toward the conclusion of the conference, Pastor James took this young man aside and he called him by name and he said, let me ask you a question. Is the river of living water flowing out of your being? And in a moment of honesty, he said, Pastor James, I've got to be perfectly candid. I don't have a river. <laughs> I've got a trickle, he said, but I don't have a river. And if that, does that define your life tonight? You'd like to have that river, but to be perfectly candid, you just feel like you've got a trickle? And I know that some of you during these days have invited the Holy Spirit to come in in all of His fullness. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit. At the moment you've met Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. But now, there's a deeper filling where the Holy Spirit gets all of you. That's what we're talking about tonight. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of you tonight, I want you to leave this place with a sense of conviction that I have been filled with the blessed third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. It's not a complicated process. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Luke 11, 13, we've got to ask. Our brother Jim talked about that Sunday morning from Luke chapter 11. Then in Acts chapter 5 and verse 32, it talks about obedience. God gives the Holy Spirit to them that obey. And sometimes that's the biggest struggle, isn't it? Let's just be honest with one another. You know, maybe we can obey in some things, but then there's a little closet things that make it difficult and complicated. And so we need to really address that area of obedience. And then according to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14, we receive this fullness of the Spirit by faith. Okay? Not complicated. What I'd like to do tonight is the following. Those of you that uh, are not certain yet, maybe you could identify with that little story by, by Maynard James. Maybe you're like that young man, you just got a trickle, but you want to experience the river tonight. Like when Jesus stood up on the last day of the feast and talked about the river that would flow. You want to experience the river tonight. And without any music or singing, you're seated, I would just like to invite you to get out from where you're seated and come and stand or kneel here in the front. Would you do that? And then we're going to walk you through these three steps so you can leave here tonight with the Holy Spirit testifying with your spirit that you have been filled. Fair enough? Amen. Let's do it. Steps of obedience. God bless you all. Amen. Just come and kneel. God's in the house. Been here all week. You guys have been praying. I want to thank you for that. God bless you all. Please come as the Holy Spirit speaks. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.